Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pikapi Podcast. On this show, we typically cover Ash Ketchum and his Pokemon journey, or sometimes other characters and their journeys through the world of Pokemon. But for this episode, I've been on a journey of my own. I went up to Canada to see my family and go camping this past week, and it's been an adventure. Long drives, long walks, sleeping in my car at rest stops, and now this episode comes to you from somewhere in the wilderness where there is magically a little motel and a Wi-Fi password. <laughs> and before I left on this, this magical journey, I was pretty sure the episode would get out on time. I, I'd done some work on it beforehand, um, but I keep forgetting that the second I cross the border from the U.S. into Canada, I basically go off the grid. I don't know why that is, since it's not like my dad's house doesn't have internet, but something about it must affect things. Like, my phone makes sense, it just stops service, but I've never understood why my computers have such issues. Like, I take them across the border and they run ten times slower, they can't find the websites I search for... All I can imagine is that in crossing the border, everything has to switch over from .com to .ca, like time zones, regional restrictions, whatever. And maybe that puts extra processes on a computer? I don't know. I'm not tech-savvy enough. All I know is that, once again, my computer handled all my work in the backseat of my car while I was sleeping in the middle of actual nowhere Idaho, but in a dining room of a first-world nation, suddenly it couldn't compute anymore, so... We're doing our best over here. <laughs> Only using the internet when I absolutely have to, and by Sunday, I should be back at my own house, and wherever no, I know everything works okay. Most of the time. But I do love traveling. It's one of the things I envy about the Pokemon characters, because as much as I like to just get to my destination, I also really love when you have the time and freedom to just explore. And that's something Ash has in abundance, especially because he's walking. He goes for as long as he wants, stops and looks at whatever he wants, whenever he wants. It's a lot of exercise, but it sounds idyllic. Someday I'd like to take an extended trip like that. But for now, I've got to live through the trip I'm actually in. And when I get back to town on Sunday, uh, hopefully... I'll be recording with our sponsor, PokePress, one of our special episodes uh, covering Pokemon movie music. And we'll be going on a bit of a tangent this month talking about Pokemon music uh, from other countries that are not Japan or the United States. Italy, in particular, put out a lot of Pokemon original music, not just translations, and a couple other countries did so as well, so we'll have a fair bit to talk about. 
There's a lot of fun songs. And if you, European listeners or European enthusiasts, know of any songs that we should be checking out or want to get your two cents in uh, before Sunday happens, hopefully today's episode drops in enough time to give you a heads up. But please uh, comment and let us know either on my blog page here at pcappypodcast.blogspot.com or at PokePress on their YouTube or pokepress.blogspot.com. We're doing the best we can with our song hunting and our research, but if you know of stuff that you absolutely do not want us to, to miss talking about, let us know. And also check out some of PokePress's other content on YouTube, because he's been rather busy with the Pokemon North American Championships, all the competing and fun that went down at that event. He's been putting up a fair bit of videos, so if you're interested in the world of uh, competitive Pokemon games, you should definitely check out some of those videos and interviews. So again, check them out on YouTube at PokePress, or I'll have all the info and links on my blog page as well. But let's get to today's episode. I think I kind of lied in my last one, saying that we were done with Pokemon Chronicles for a bit. Looking at all the air dates, I think... I think I'm wrong because today we do have one more episode of Pokemon Chronicles before we rejoin the main series timeline. So buckle up, we're not we're not ready for Ash yet. Today we're visiting Professor Oak's laboratory where a lot of Ash's Pokemon hang out when they're not one of the six traveling with him. Of course, Ash is not the only trainer who has Pokemon staying with the professor. Gary does as well, and it's implied that other trainers from Pallet Town, past and present, also transfer excess Pokemon to the regional professor when not in active training. It helps with Professor Oak's research to have a wide variety of Pokemon to observe and study, and traveling trainers do a bit of the legwork in his research, so in that way, he and the trainers are helping each other. In addition to that, there's also a bunch of local wild Pokemon who hang out at the lab just because the property is huge and pretty awesome. So it's a packed house. The system Professor Oak has here leads me to a thought, though. We know the PC system for Pokemon storage does exist in the Pokemon world, and it's part of what Dr. Akihabara was working on. It's been referenced once or twice as being a thing that exists, and certainly Pokemon transfers and trades operate in such a way that it's stupid to think PC storage isn't an option. And it does seem there is more than one option in that regard for where a trainer leaves their Pokemon, how transfers and trades work, how the Pokeballs are used and stored, etc. There has been some variation in how Ash and other trainers have done it at different times and in different places, but it's all operated under the same fictional scientific principles. <laughs> However, that said, we know so much about the Pokemon PC system and the wireless Pokeball management system and transfers, etc. But how often have we actually seen someone storing their Pokemon inside a PC? Like, we know it can be done in the anime-verse, and yet, it doesn't seem to be done that often. It's more often to see Pokeballs stored on a shelf, or Pokemon out and about like they are at Professor Oak's lab. And my thoughts are not developed enough to postulate on why that is, like, in-universe or out-of-universe. It's just something I've noticed, and I think it's intriguing. That they clearly have this technology and are rarely seen using it. Possibly because for all the perks of living inside a PC box, when we're dealing with the anime Pokemon being actual characters and having personalities and hopes and dreams, 
having the Pokemon live inside the PC long term just seems like a step too far. I'd much prefer if the games sent your Pokemon to just this big ranch to store them all and, and you just ring up the farmhand whenever you need one transferred over, something like that. But it, it could just be another example of things that work really well for the games or even the manga don't work so well for the anime and what we've kind of established about the relationship of people in Pokemon. Um, and since we're talking about the anime now, uh, this is a place where Ash's Pokemon and several others live together in relative harmony. But when you've got that many roommates, things can get chaotic, and everything you do ends up affecting those around you. So, say a bunch of Meryl are having barbershop quartet practice, and it confuses Krabby, and it ends up hurting Fanfy by accident, and the Fanfy ends up mowing over Totodile, who disturbs Snorlax, and would get crushed if Bulbasaur was not around to save it. But Snorlax does crush Cyndaquil, who lets loose a flamethrower, which sends Tauros on the stampede, like... Doesn't take much for things to spin into chaos out here, apparently. But the stampede is headed right at Professor Oak's house. Poor Bulbasaur, never a dull moment, keeping this place in line. While at the house, Professor Oak is a busy beedrill, running reports and tests, and thank goodness he's got Tracy to keep him in line and remind him to eat. But things are busier than normal. They're expecting a visit from the mayor's son today. He's going to be starting his Pokemon journey! Oh, the excitement! So the professor has got to make sure his three starter Pokemon are healthy and in tip-top shape. The mayor is, you know, the mayor and a big supporter of the lab, so Professor Oak's got some incentive to make the kid happy and send him off right. Do things by the book instead of, oh, whatever kid, I didn't make sure I had enough Pokemon for all the students planning to leave today, so here, have this rangy Pikachu that might actually kill you if you look at it funny. I just... I feel standards have changed a bit over the years. Anyway, they have another visitor, Delia Ketchum. She's dropping off some herbs from her garden and arrives just as that Toro stampede from earlier starts charging up and through the wall. Goodness gracious. Come on, Toro. I think you'd have more sense than that. Haven't you ever heard of turning? Anyway. After going through and through Professor Oak's house, the bitty baby starter Pokemon get spooked and they run off crying. So the gang's gotta catch them. Meanwhile, the mayor's son just arrived. And he's a brat, with like, no concept of how the world works. He wants a Torchic, or a Trico, or a Mudkip. Anything but Charmander, Bulbasaur, or Squirtle. It's like... Going into KFC and asking for a pizza, hamburger, anything but fried chicken. Like, this is Kanto. Putting aside the Pokemon League breeding those three starter Pokemon for beginning trainers, for a reason, Bulbasaur, Charmander, and Squirtle are Pokemon native to Kanto. Like, it's not impossible for the professor to get his hands on a Pokemon native to Hoenn. That that could be a kind of starter Pokemon, but it's a bit of an ask. You're not special, kid. Then again, why not expect special? We say there's only three options, but one kid got something a little different that one time, and he's done very, very well for himself. If Ash didn't choose from Bulbasaur, Charmander, or Squirtle, why can't this kid choose what he wants? He is the mayor's son. All the same, Bulbasaur thinks it is very special, thank you very much, and resents being called lame. 
So it's mad, and Tracy tries to set this kid, Gilbert, straight. It doesn't work because A, the starter Pokemon are AWOL right now, and B, Gilbert plays the Ash card. Pikachu's good enough for some nobody, it's certainly good enough for the neighbor's son. Delia points out that Ash had some special circumstances. <laughs> I'm gonna die. Special circumstances like Professor Oak sucks at his job, he knew four trainers were coming, only prepared three Pokemon. I mean, fine. There is an argument that he knew or at least suspected that this one Pikachu he had in the lab and that Ketchum kid down the road might both be that pair he met 40 years ago in the future. But given the information we know he had and didn't have, coupled with how the professor treated Ash back then, I'm reluctant to give him too much credit on that front. I'll buy weird hunch they're the same, maybe this will work out, long before I buy grand design. Anyway, I might sympathize with Gilbert on the type of Pokemon he chooses, just because it's a little unfair to expect kids to obey rules when you don't keep them consistent. Like, you can only choose from these three, but then give other kids a different Pokemon just because you felt like it. Like, of course kids are going to ask if they can have a different option too. That's natural. If the barista at Starbucks adds extra whipped cream to someone else's hot chocolate, why on earth would I not ask if the same special circumstances could apply to me? But then he starts asking for Pokemon that are already evolved and trained, so he doesn't have to do any of that boring work himself. That's not understandable. There's no more sympathy. The kid is missing the whole point of being a Pokemon trainer. Like, you know the training, and Tracy is personally offended by this. Tracy's so chill 90% of the time, I keep forgetting that mistreating or disrespecting Pokemon will make him lose his cool in the blink of an eye, just like with Lapras. But yeah, Pokemon training, it's like being a sports coach. Your job isn't the end result, it's getting your athlete to that end result. Once your athlete wins all the things they want to win, you start training somebody else. That's what training is, going from not being good at things to becoming good at things. A, a Pokemon who's already good at things doesn't need to be trained. It seems Gilbert just wants the trophies and the ribbons, though, not the actual work. Despite his lazy attitude, Gilbert is roped into searching for the three missing Pokemon. He searches the mountains with Professor Oak and Ash's Bulbasaur, while Dilia, Tracy, and Mr. Mime search down by the river. Along the way, Professor Oak tells a shopkeeper what's happened, seemingly uncaring that this woman is the town gossip. Like, there's town gossip and what this lady does. She's turned it into an art. There's megaphones set up through the city, a whole system, and then her delivery, like, yo, 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 my peeps! She runs a crazy independent radio station, except it's less a station and more her just shouting into a microphone blasting all the speakers in town. She, she's a podcaster, except she's never heard of earbuds, and customers will listen to her when she feels like it, whether they like it or not. We need to get her a Facebook account so she can do live, live vids. But everybody knows this about her, except for the old professor on the hill. Professor Oak, you need to connect with the rest of Pallet Town from time to time. You're missing a lot. Then again, maybe you'd rather not. Pallet Town is a bunch of weirdos. Ash and Gary might be the most normal people to ever come out of there, so look at the pair of them. 
Well, Tracy finds the Charmander. It's fallen in the river. So he's got to get some of his hero act on and rescue it before it puts its own flame out. The river's a bit deep and a strong current, so in the end, Mr. Mime has to lift them out of the water with its psychic attacks. Honestly, that should have been the first course of action, but no harm done. Gilbert and Professor Oak are searching along a ravine, walking a thin path along the cliff. Uh, Gilbert's not so sure about this. Bulbasaur is just like, are we really going to make some Pokemon go traveling with this kid? Oh my gosh, this is why I ran a whole village that outlawed humans. He, like, he is so unimpressed with Gilbert right now. And why not? He is exactly the kind of trainer Bulbasaur hates. The kind he's seen hurt or abandoned Pokemon so many times. The kind he thought Ash might be, even after agreeing to travel with him. Like, the look on Bulbasaur's face says it all. Professor Oak points out that once Gilbert goes on a journey, he might find himself doing scary things like this often, maybe scarier. I mean, ideally not, Professor. Ideally, you want the kids to choose paths that have firm earth under their feet. Crossing dangerous, crumbling dirt paths over high ravines should be the outlier in an emergency situation. <laughs> Just because you and Ash are a pair of psychos. Gilbert's thought is, by that point, he'll have a bunch of super strong Pokemon to protect him, and that's why he can't leave on a Pokemon journey with weak Pokemon. Oh, boy. Well, while he explains that logic, um, above them, clinging to a branch over the ravine, is the lost Squirtle. In a perverse way, I kind of see Gilbert's point. I mean... You'd like to think that a Pokemon was born with at least some level of common sense and self-preservation, but so often, man! I thought it was just Ash's crew, but no, it's not. How did that Squirtle even end up there? What possessed it? Like, it's already scared a bit, and it's like, oh, I'll just go run across that tiny twig by the cliff. Like, I feel like a toddler would not have gone and done that. Might have tried, but it wouldn't have made it that far before going, This ain't safe. I feel scared. I want mom. Turning back. Like, do these Pokemon just have a homing beacon in them for danger? Like, goodness gracious, I see why Gilbert might not want to leave with them. Whatever the case, uh, Professor Oak and Bulbasaur have got to rescue the baby Squirtle, and then they've got to rescue Gilbert, who had just quit Pokemon training and is in the process of leaving, slipped off the path and down the cliff. Bulbasaur grabs him with Vine Whip and pulls him back to safety, then helps steady Professor Oak when he catches the falling Squirtle. MVP of the day, that is Bulbasaur. Once it's safe, they get off the cliffside and down the valley, where Bulbasaur tries to coax the frightened Squirtle out of its shell, and Professor Oak tries to have a teaching moment with Gilbert. Oh my gosh, what Bulbasaur is doing with its vines is, is precious. The shapes and things. I love it. Bulbasaur really can be so good with kids. So gentle and fun and nurturing. But we see a bit of old angry Bulbasaur too, like protective Bulbasaur. It's got no problems just telling Gilbert, like, back off. I love it. Now here is the interesting thing about Gilbert. It's not that he's completely heartless. Or even that he's really, like, against Pokemon training. Because he hears what the professor is saying about how he and the Squirtle might have some things in common. And it is getting through. And his metaphorical shell is broken by how Bulbasaur saved him and is so helpful. 
And right now, he too tries to help Squirtle cheer up by doing what Bulbasaur is doing, impressions and funny faces. Except Gilbert's impressions kind of suck. But it does help, and, and Squirtle does come out of its shell, and Gilbert plays with it and is all happy. Like, there is a good kid in there, deep down. But we've got to look for the baby Bulbasaur next, and this one is kind of a mischievous brat. It's been going around town and hiding in gardens and vegetable patches and the like, and giving people a quick scare. But despite the innocent fun, Bulbasaur gets in over its head and soon finds itself stuck up a tree with a horde of raucous primate underneath. It's trapped. Luckily, that crazy old lady with the sound system has the whole town on alert, so she can lead Oak, Tracy, Gilbert, and Delia to the area, and they can plot out just how they're going to rescue Bulbasaur. Personally, I think Mr. Mime's psychic abilities are still your best bet. Airlift Bulbasaur out of there, use confusion on the primate if they get mad, it, like it's super effective. But Gilbert has another plan. We don't need to rescue it. I'll just take Ash's Bulbasaur. Everyone just turns around like, who raised you, kid, to think that was an option? But for once, uh, the characters in the TV show go with my plan. Professor Oak talks with the primate for a bit while Mr. Mime levitates Bulbasaur out of the tree. And all is going well until Gilbert sneezes and startles Mr. Mime, who then drops the tiny Bulbasaur right into the herd of riled up Pokemon. Baby Bulbasaur is able to run away, but now we have Primeape on Stampede, so everyone's running through the forest as fast as they can. And at a fork in the road, Gilbert and the baby Bulbasaur end up separated from their friends, but not from all the Primeape. They run and run and finally end up cornered on the edge of a cliff. And this I was not expecting. Gilbert tells the little Bulbasaur to get behind him, and he pulls an ash! Like, no lie. Straight up, come and get me. No plan, just bravado and sacrifice. Thankfully, Ash's Bulbasaur is there to save his butt. Recognizes the signs. <laughs> Gets there in time. It beats up the primate and moves Gilbert and baby Bulbasaur to the other side of the small ravine. I may say, Ash's Bulbasaur has never looked more cool. The guy has that looking-over-its-shoulder hero smirk down. But it's here to save the day and look really good doing it, so it takes on the whole batch of primate by itself. No big deal. Using Solar Beam, it defeats the foes. Doesn't even hit them, just pulls off a Solar Beam capable of creating a small mushroom cloud. And the primate are like, not messing with that. Good day to you, friends. And <laughs> they run off. Gilbert thinks it's way cool. So does Baby Bulbasaur. It's got a new idol. And in the end, Gilbert goes out on a journey with the baby Bulbasaur. Someone on the same level that he is and they can grow together. And he thanks Ash's Bulbasaur for all its help. All through the episode, Professor Oak has been talking about how Gilbert needed to come out of his shell. And I'd been kind of dismissive of that. Like, he's not shy. He's arrogant and just a jerk. But now I see the Professor's point and recollect all my Star Wars fandom training like, his attitude, the arrogance, and the anger, all of it really does come from fear. He's scared to leave his safe house, scared to try something new, scared to fail. And some people react to fear by looking afraid and being vulnerable. 
Or some people react to fear by putting on a mask and, like, going on the attack. In Gilbert's case, being an arrogant jerk who demands the things that will make him less scared. But while he's more annoying, it doesn't make him any less afraid, and good on Professor Oak for seeing that and seeing what his real problem was. That's why he gets to be the mentor and I'm just the podcaster. We close out on the narrator talking about the special bond between a trainer and their starting Pokemon, and and I've always agreed with that, yeah. Both parties are taking a huge leap of faith together and, and being vulnerable. How could you not build some memories and bonding? But the one through all of this that I find the most interesting is Ash's Bulbasaur. Like, remembering how we met him and how quick he was to give up on Ash at the first sign of possible abandonment, how he felt about Pokemon and trainers and the like, and now he's watching some little kid go off with a Pokemon, a kid who is kind of a jerk. And by the time Gilbert leaves, he seems to be cheering him on, giving him encouragement and support. Ash had to prove himself through fire to get Bulbasaur to even let him near the Pokemon village. But at this point, Bulbasaur seems supportive of kids just starting their Pokemon journeys, even kids who are flawed. If Bulbasaur ever decides to write a memoir, like, Training with Ash and how it changed my outlook on life, I'd pay through the nose to read it. Like, this is quite the character arc we're seeing here. But yeah, what it's thinking through all of this, and the fact that Gilbert gets Bulbasaur's support in the end... Like, and it seems happy to send him on a journey with the baby Bulbasaur. Like, it seems that Bulbasaur has learned a lot about Pokemon training and what that relationship should be and what what makes it work and what makes it not work versus how he perceived the situation at the beginning. I don't know. I feel like Bulbasaur needs to have a nice long talk with N about what they've learned in life. Maybe that could sort some things out there. Anyway, that'll do it for this episode of Peak Happy Podcast, podcasting from the road, a road, not actually sure where I am, I might have to pull up a map, someone in my family knows. But thank you for your patience in waiting for this to get out, and for your patience through any uh, sound hiccups that might occur. For now, though, we'll end it here. You can keep in touch with the podcast by visiting peakhappypodcast.blogspot.com, visiting Facebook and Twitter, or subscribing to us on iTunes or any of the other fine podcast device apps things on the internet that I clearly can't work. And we'll come at you next time for reels with Ash Ketchum's journey. And until that next time, this has been Peak Happy Podcast. Gotta catch them all.
ピカチュウ。